you might would sit there and say, you know, it's kind of elementary and uh, it, it's not, you know, very deep. And that's the point of it. Not everything has to be so deep that you have to kind of squint your eyes and hold your mouth one way so that you can try to get everything. The Word of God does not have to be difficult. And that's the beauty of God's Word. And so we have taken, we are now on Lesson 9. We have taken uh, eight lessons up till today, eight lessons. And we have taken us from the book of Genesis through the Old Testament into the New, the Gospels. And then yesterday, or, uh, last week, last Wednesday, we did the new birth, Acts 2.38. And uh, I know he stepped out to help do the offering. But I didn't, Brother Steve Williamson, do an incredible job talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and I don't mean this as a slight to him, but that's how simple it is to teach a Bible, home Bible study. You don't have to have been in church for 35 years. You don't have to have a degree in, in theology. All you need to do is love God's Word and be able to read God's Word or at least memorize God's Word, and it's there. And uh, he did a great job, and, and uh, I appreciate that. The, the, the Holy Ghost, we use that term interchangeably. We've got the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, His Spirit, all of that. It simply is this, God in us. If, if the Old Testament was God above us, then the Gospels is God with us. But the New Testament teaches us that it is now God in us. That no longer do we have to have a tabernacle out in the wilderness or a temple out somewhere where you have to come in order for a priest to bring your petitions to man. But when Jesus died and that veil was split, now you and I, not only do we have access to God in a just an incredibly personal manner, but now God tabernacles in us. God inhabits in us. This is where God is. Now, I know God's everywhere at all times and knows everything. I understand that. But I want you to see the beauty of God in us. Tonight, I want to talk about a few things, three, three things to, to, uh, to be exact. I want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. I want to talk about the, the change from the old man to the new man. And then I want to talk about the beauty of holiness. Now, each one of those would be a sermon series all by itself. But we're going to do it in about 40 minutes. So, obviously, I won't be able to hit everything, but I think it will, it will uh, make it work. Jesus had a plan for the church. I don't know how many times I've said it, but he didn't have a, a plan B. He, he let the disciples and the apostles, he said, you're going to change your world. And can I tell you, change your, their world, they did. I, I've told you, I've been reading through the book of Acts. And about every, about, well, actually every 28 days or so, I will have read through the book of Acts. And, and I'm now on my third uh, time in the last three months. And I'm amazed when I see how quickly they overturned their world. All the way until that Paul was able to preach the gospel in front of the most powerful man in the world. And that was Caesar at that time. They changed it. God had put together a church. And this, this church is described in so many different ways in the Bible. And one way that the Bible describes the church says we are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. Zane I think Zane must be in, in uh, uh, some, some physiology classes or, or, and so he's been talking all about the muscle groups and the bones and you know he, he's able to name all the bones. It's kind of neat, but God said we are the body of Christ. If anything's going to get done, it's going to be done through the body of Christ. And that analogy still fits that he molded together by his spirit, he molded together a body, a group of believers that he called the church. And in that, that body is used to do the things of God. We become the hands of God. We become the feet of God. I, I understand that that. It takes it outside of the realm of the natural, but that's okay because the Bible says in Isaiah that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts uh, higher than your thoughts. It's not going to be something we can do. In fact, I will tell you that, that if ever I try to preach by myself, that sermon will go nowhere. If I try to minister by myself, by my own abilities, it's not going to go anywhere. But if I can let God's Spirit minister through me, things will happen. Amen? So, because of that, God gave the church spiritual gifts. He, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So, when God poured out his spirit, he, 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 he didn't just pour it out so that you could lose your, your sin nature. He didn't pour it out just so you could walk into heaven. But God also poured out his spirit so that the church would profit, that the church would grow. Paul, or, or rather, let me back up, Peter would have never been able to speak on the day of Pentecost the way he spoke if the Holy Ghost had not been in him. Because Peter had had three and a half years of walking hand in hand with Jesus and rubbing shoulders with Jesus, but that did not change Peter's nature. At the end of three and a half years of almost every day walking with the Lord, he still denied Jesus at the end. Because God was looking for something more than just a walk. God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to change you. And now Peter, as I've said, the coward of Pentecost or the coward of Calvary becomes the preacher of Pentecost and he can only do that because there was a spiritual gift in him that profited the church. I've been around the block. I, I see people, I talk to people all the time. And, and there's a lot of people that deny the work of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of people that says, first off, there's some that say the Holy Ghost isn't even real, but those are the ones that don't read their Bible. There are some that read their Bible and say, well, that's just for the book of Acts. It's not for us today. But I would, I would tell you that that is not true at all because first off, the Bible says it's given to every man. It didn't say just those in the, Old, or those in the, in the book of Acts. But it is something the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and in a couple places it says that the gifts are going to remain in the church unto the second coming of Jesus Christ. Just like the body has hands and fingers and eyes and toes and ears, then the body of Christ has many members and it says that they are all important. Are some of those members seen more than others? Absolutely. When's the last time any of you ever thought about your patella, your kneecap? You think about your eyes all the time. You think about your, your, your hands all the time, the things that are used more. But go twist that patella and let it, let it rip some tendons, and you'll find out really quickly you need that to walk. Though in your life you may have never thought about your kneecap. If it's not working, you'll think about it. And so even though there are many members of the body, there's some that preach behind a pulpit, there's some that minister behind the scenes, but all are important. Now there's a difference between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the change in your character. And, and everyone that is filled with His Spirit needs to exhibit the fruits of His Spirit. Because if you're not fruitful, then you're dead. Does that make sense? Jesus talked about that. Jesus cursed the unfruitful tree. And so I will tell you that while I believe that speaking in tongues is the evidence, that, that, that initial evidence of the, the receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, once that has happened, what I start looking for are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, all of those. But the gifts of the Spirit, they are, they are divine, and, and as here in, in, in the the Bible study, it says they are divine enablements to strengthen and encourage the church. They're not used for our own good. They're not used for our own, uh, uh, you know, you're not supposed to get rich off of them. You're not supposed to make it so you're popular or you've got this or that. It's for the strengthening of the church. Now, Brother Steve and I were talking before church about the book of Corinthians. He was talking to someone that had a question there in the book of Corinthians, and so he was asking me about it. And the book of Corinthians, the, the, the writer, Paul, right into the Corinthian church, first off, that was a church that was having a lot of problems. 
It was a church that had lost balance. Uh, and that's why there's so many different things that you find in there. There was a church that, that began to try to operate the gifts of the Spirit for their own gain. They would try to show that they were either more spiritual or they would try to call somebody out in the middle of church and try to, you know, kind of get at them through uh, maybe words of wisdom or prophetic words. and So they were really going about it the wrong way, and so Paul had to talk about it. They were... Uh, When it came time to eat the Lord's Supper, they ate a supper, much like Jesus and the 12 disciples ate it in the upper room. And and, uh, uh, the church, if you were rich, they'd make a big old supper real close to the front. If you were poor, you ate some crackers and something in the back, and nobody thought to include each other, and so there was a lot of division and all of that. And so because of that, Paul, in in the book of of Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, spends a lot of time talking about the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. And you've got to be careful. There is a great care that must be taken in the operation. We don't want to become unbalanced. Uh, I know that some of these gifts, if you will, they, uh, they're more spectacular. They, they look better. They might even be greater in scope of what you see. But Paul kind of summed it up. He said, you can do all of that, but if you don't have any love, then it's kind of pointless. So Paul was quick to balance it out. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Paul lists nine gifts of the Spirit. These are the working of God through man. Uh, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the working of miracles, the prophecy, the discerning of spirits, divers kind of tongues, and the interpre- uh, interpretation of tongues. And you can break those up in three different categories. You can, uh, first category is the power to know, uh, a, a kind of to know supernaturally. And the second is the power to act supernaturally. And the third is the power to speak supernaturally. Now remember, this is not going to happen unless you are filled with His Spirit. All right, let me just be very clear. You are not going to exhibit or have or be able to use a gift of the Spirit if you have not first been saved. It doesn't work that way. It, it, it is, a, it is a, a operation that God says, look, you have surrendered your life to me. You have repented of your sins. You have had your life cleansed by the waters of baptism. Your life has been rejuvenated and born again by the Spirit. And so because of that, now you are living right. Now I can use you. The word of wisdom, there's a, a lot of people in this room that you have wisdom of a natural sense. Now, I've got some ability to, to do some carpentry work, but if I really wanted to, to get serious about building a house, I'd go to Brother Cozart, I'd go to Brother Dwayne, and, and I'd say, look, tell me how to build this because they possess a natural wisdom when it comes to building a house. If I want to learn some, some engineering and, and, and things of that nature, I'd go talk to Brother, Brother Mark. You've, you've been to school. You've got knowledge there. If I want to hang cabinets, I'm going to go talk to Brother Keith. There's, if I want to clean carpets, I'm going to go ask, brother, what chemical? And I've done that. I'd say, Brother Shane, what do I do? This happened. And he, he can rattle it off, exactly what needs to happen to get each stain out of carpet. We're not looking for natural wisdom. God says there are moments in time in which we need something more than what we know of ourselves. The word we use, and I don't mean it to be spooky or, super, or, 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 or something like that, but the word we use is supernatural, meaning it's above what is natural so while there are things that I might know sometimes the answers that we need are not going to come by something I've learned but rather the answer I need is going to be a specific word of wisdom at a particular time for a particular situation and God can give you that this is why there have been times that in, in my life I've been able to speak to someone and give a word of wisdom that I knew good and well could not have come from my own knowledge. Let me show you an example. Uh, 
In, in Acts chapter 27, Paul is, is on a, a shipwreck. We preached about this a, about a month or so ago. Paul's on the ship. It's about to go down. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And God speaks to Paul and says, Paul, I, I want you to tell them that, that they don't need to jump off the, the, the boat, but the ship is going gonna, is gonna to wreck, but everyone's going to be okay. That is a word of wisdom. And we need this. In the normal life of the church, in the normal life of, of a saint, there will be a time in which we will need a, a wise leadership. Problems occur. There's delicate situations that rise above. Can I tell you that I pray often, God, as pastor, as shepherd, give me a word of wisdom so that I can lead when I don't know it myself. That word of wisdom includes the supernatural revelation of divine purpose. Sometimes it's the supernatural declaration of the mind and will of God. Sometimes it's the supernatural unfolding of His planned or purposes. It's a word of wisdom. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that we are to endeavor to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. And the second way that we can know supernatural is called the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is a, is a knowledge that comes from the Lord to meet a particular need. It's not a gift of knowledge, but it's a word of knowledge. We know that according to Colossians and other places, we know that God is wisdom. He knows everything. He sees everything. So because of that, there is a time in which uh, God can speak a word and, and show us What's happening, it can be a, a fact from God about a person, a place, a thing, or event. Let me show you an example of the word of knowledge. I, I just read this a couple days ago in my, in, in, in my Acts reading. Ananias and Sapphira. They, they, everybody was wanting to help the church, and so there were people that would go out and they would sell something, they would sell some land, and they would bring the money to the church. Ananias and Sapphira. Book of Acts, Ananias, Sapphira. Ananias said, Paul, or Peter rather, I'm going to sell this property for $100,000 and I'm going to give it to the church. Well, so he went out and put it on the market and it sold for a little bit different than what he had said. So he came up and he knew good and well it sold for $150,000 and he said, you know what, Peter, here is $100,000. I sold the property, I'm giving you everything. Now, Peter had no idea that he wasn't telling the truth. And to fact, and be honest, it wasn't the amount of money. Peter later said, you could have given me one dollar and we'd have been okay. But Peter looked at him and said, Ananias, you're lying to me. The Holy Ghost has said, you're lying to me. And you're not lying to me, you're lying to the Holy Ghost. And because of that, you're going to fall dead right now. And down Ananias went. Sapphira's wife about three hours later comes and she doesn't know what's happened and she says the exact same lie and that word of knowledge comes. It was a way that God gave Peter the knowledge about what was happening. It's a word of knowledge. There's a discerning of spirits. Again, it's not a gift of discernment, but rather it's the discerning of spirits. It's the discerning of spirits. It's the ability on a particular occasion to ascertain whether a spirit or an action is of God or of the devil or of a human nature. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says that we should not believe every spirit but try the spirits whether they be of God. The purpose is to see what is true and what is false. And this you can find in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 when Peter uh, looked at Simon the sorcerer and said, I, I, I see where you're getting at. You want to, you know, I, I can see the intent of your heart. Or Paul's rebuke of that girl who is possessed of Philippi. And he turns around and he says, come out of her. And uh, the, 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 the spirit came out. It's a way of discerning. And there have been times in my life when something on the surface might seem Spiritual. It might seem to be good, but there's an ulterior motive or an ulterior thing that's going. And so God says, discern the spirits. And you can do that. You ever walked into a place and just kind of know something's not right? I'm not saying that there's a demon behind every bush, but you just kind of walk in there and you go, something's not quite right. That's a discerning of spirits. You begin to talk to someone and they may say the right things, but instantly you know what they're saying isn't matching the heart. That's a discerning of spirits. It's a gift of God that he gives us and he allows us to use. Those are the knowledge gifts or, or 
way that we can know in a supernatural way. But let's talk about the, the gifts that God has for us to act supernaturally. The gift of faith. Now, first off, Hebrews chapter 11 says that the gift of faith, or, or not the gift of faith, but just faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So everybody on the face of this earth must have a measure of faith that leads us into the presence of God and leads us to repent and be baptized. That's faith. This is different. This is a gift of faith that is above just the faith that we might have uh, as the children. But there are moments where uh, you just need a little more. I've, I've told you about being at a prayer meeting as a teenager, being at a prayer meeting where there was a lady by the name of Dawn who had a brain tumor and we began to pray with her. And as I began to pray, God began to allow my faith to act in a supernatural manner. It wasn't just, I know you can heal. But God began to say, I will heal. And, and I didn't know how to work with that right away. And I kind of backed off on it somehow. I think I told my youth pastor somehow it got back to Sister Dawn. And she came to me and she said, Brandon, what did you feel? And I had to just kind of say, well, this is what I felt. It was an, a gift of faith. And that gift of faith, it, it goes beyond all reason. That gift of faith looks the impossibilities in the faith, in the face. That gift of faith says that what used to be a problem now is a miracle. And if you've ever acted in that capacity where something has come against you and you've been able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is going to take care of this, that is the gift of faith. We see that over and over and over. Working of miracles. You see that all throughout the book of Acts, even in the church today. It's the, the release of God's power through a person's life for an immediate supernatural event. Can I explain how God can heal someone of cancer? No. Can I explain how I have heard stories on the mission fields of someone that was dead be brought to life or, or sister uh, uh, Sorrels uh, falling out with a massive brain aneurysm and medical science says there's no possible way she should be here today except that God allowed a supernatural gift of the working of miracles and it happens. And remember Jesus said, greater things than I did, Jesus said, greater things than I did, you're going to do. So if Jesus was able to pray for the sick and they recovered, then it seems a reason that the church today ought to be able to still operate in those gifts. Gifts of healing. Some, you know, I understand that maybe uh, uh, miracles and healings, they, they can be kind of, you know, the same, but it is a little different, the gifts of healing. It's the various types of healing that God has done. Bible says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 18 that we can believe in Jesus Christ, that we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. In James chapter 5 it says you can call for the elders of the church, they can anoint with oil and they can pray for healing. And, and it is, all of those are healing. And I want to tell you today, the church of the living God needs to operate in those gifts. You say, well, how come we don't see it? Well, I'll tell you there's a few reasons we don't see it. Number one, we're not walking as close with him as we ought to be. Number two, we don't need them as much as they used to need those. We, we don't We've got enough other things in life that can fill the void that we haven't got to that desperate situation where we need God to move. Now maybe some of you have, but I'm talking about the church on a corporate level. We need to get back to the place where we're not saying, Lord, I'm thankful just that I'm saved and I can come to church. But we need to get to the place where we say, God, can you use me? Can you use me? Gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, the gift of faith, the power to act supernatural. The one that probably we see a little more often is the power to speak supernaturally. The first one is the gift of prophecy. It's an anointed utterance from God. It usually consists of foretelling or foretelling. It is a specific message from God to, to a person or a group of people and it's in their own language. 
there have been times, and in fact, if I'm talking about you, then, then you know who it is. But just a few Sundays ago, I, I was going around, I was talking to someone, and just instantly God kind of let me say the right thing. And that was the exact words that you said when it got done. You said, you have said the exact thing I needed to hear. That's a word of prophecy. I didn't have to speak in tongues to do it. There wasn't no hocus pocus and shaking going on. It was just God saying, I've got a word for someone, a specific message for someone that's going to help them. I want you to listen to me very carefully. True prophecy will never go against the word of God. If, if it goes against the word of God, run with everything you got. When, when the Bible, I, I, I remember going to uh, uh, being, being a young person and, and I was there, I was at a friend's house in the church and, and the mom of, of the friend I was in got to talking about you know, the, the church and, and the pastor had preached something very specific when it came to holiness. It talked about the, the uncut women's hair and had begun to really talk about that. And I remember in her, her, her uh, uh, living room, this mom said, you know, I know Pastor Dugas preached about this, but I began to pray and fast, and God told me that, that I don't have to do that. Now, I wasn't real smart back then. I'm not much smarter now, but I wasn't real smart back then. But I knew instantly, if God tells you anything outside his word, you're crazy. Because God is not going to uh, contradict himself. So true prophecy will always be in harmony with God's word. A prophetic word, remember, it's a message for you, a message for a church, a message. It, it, it's never going to replace the Bible, and it's never going to diminish its worth. See, here's, I have a problem with this, so uh, no, I don't think anybody here does this. But I know a lot of people, they, they, they like to follow after a, a preacher that maybe works in the prophetic. And they'll run after that. I need a word. I, I, love, I hear this a lot. I need a word from the Lord. I need a word from the Lord. I need a word from the Lord. Can I tell you the best way to get a word from the Lord? Pray, read your Bible. It's amazing. It's amazing how much that will speak. I need a word from the Lord. Well, have you talked to him lately? But there are those moments where I need a word. And God has a way. Sometimes it's been someone calling me up on the phone and saying, Brandon, I don't know exactly what you're going through, and then tell me exactly what I'm going through. I don't quite understand how that works, but, you know, hadn't talked to anybody, but know where I'm at. Or sometimes it's been a, a, a member of this church. I've had, I've had Brother Perryman, I've had, I've had Brother Don, uh, times we go fishing, hunting, I've had him just begin to speak. And it is a word. A gift of prophecy always brings edification. It always brings exhortation. It always brings comfort to the church. It never tears down. And especially it never tears down publicly. Now there are times that a word of wisdom and there are times that a word of prophecy might come to an individual to say, say Brother Bob, the, the, the road you're on is a dangerous road. And I'm, I'm just using you as an example. You know, I, I don't think that this is of God. It might be, but you'll have to try the Spirit. But, but I said, Bob, you know, I, I just feel in my spirit that you're on the wrong road. And, and I'm not going to do that in front of everybody because that's not edifying. Those words, it always builds up. That's why if you go to a church and you start getting scared because they're going to prophesy, something's not right because it should always edify. It doesn't replace Spiritual leadership, it doesn't supersede doctrinal teaching. Just because somebody in your life gave you a word from the Lord doesn't make them your pastor, doesn't make them your parent, it doesn't make them your youth pastor, it doesn't supersede any of that. It's just God used them for a purpose. The gift of tongues is a, a it, it, the, the Bible tells us that the initial evidence when someone's baptized with the Holy Spirit is they speak with other tongues, Acts chapter 2. But as you go forward, uh, speaking in tongues is a, an event where someone would speak in a language they do not know and they would do so in a public setting. And so uh, they would begin to give that. There's a few ways. Let me show you. So uh, the first way is the initial evidence. The second is there are times when you are in personal prayer. 
that you will pray or you will speak in tongues there. Uh, the First the Corinthians chapter 14 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. There's a time when you can pray in the Spirit. You may not know what you're saying, and that's why the Bible says there are times you don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit will make uh, uh, intercession for you. But the third is the use where it, when it comes to the church, it is a, it coupled with the interpretation of the tongue. So the first gift, or, or rather, you know, the first part of that would be speaking in tongues. If you've been around the lighthouse, you will know that there are moments in which God begins to move. And, and, and someone will begin to speak with other tongues in a service. Now sometimes you'll hear that and I'll keep going because I have discerned that that's a, a, a private thing for them. They're just praying. And, but but when, when that goes forth, a lot of times it gets quiet and, and, and that person is able to speak. They are speaking in an unknown tongue. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 also tells us that whosoever speaketh in an unknown tongue needs to pray that he or they may interpret it. Because, and remember, uh, the gifts are there to edify the body. It does no good for there to be a gift of, the, of speaking in tongues that we have no idea what it says. And so in a corporate setting, someone would speak with tongues and then we begin to pray. And that's why you'd hear me or whoever's behind the pulpit would say, why don't we pray? God, speak to us. The, get it, the, the speaking in tongues grabbed our attention, attention, but now the gift of the interpretation of tongues. It's not a translation. That's why the Bible doesn't say it's a translation of tongues. Uh, as a kid, and, and I don't mean to make light of this by any stretch of the imagination, but as a kid, I've heard people give a very short message in tongues and the interpretation was five miles long. Or I've seen someone give tongues for five minutes, it seems, and then the interpretation was very short. It's not a translation, it's an interpretation. And when a person brings a message to the church through the gift of tongues, it is that interpretation of tongues, that gift of the interpretation of tongues that is used to edify the church. And it is an incredible thing. And we've seen that in action here. But again, because the, Paul dealt with the Corinthian church, they used this the wrong way. And, and again, just because you operate in the gifts of the Spirit does not make you any more spiritual than anybody else. Just because you've been blessed and God has said, I'm going to use you, doesn't mean you're all that in a bag of chips. Because just in case you're wondering, a little bit differently, but just in case you're wondering, God used a donkey to speak when nobody else worked. So, should kind of help you out. But the Corinthian church, they had some problems. Again, Brother Steve and I, and some of y'all back there, you were hearing it. Uh, the Corinthian church, they, they, they'd get, get in church and, and they wanted to show how spiritual they were. Well, it's kind of hard to be used in the gift of, of miracles if no miracles happen. Does that make sense? You can't kind of fake that. It's Somebody dies and you start praying and you say, I got the gift of healing and they don't resurrect. You're kind of up creek without a paddle. But one thing you could do is you could speak in tongues. And so in the Corinthian church, somebody over there would begin to speak in tongues and, and they wanted everybody to know how spiritual they were. And then they'd keep speaking in tongues because they wanted everybody to know. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, if there's no interpretation, the one speaking in the unknown tongue should keep silent in the church, though he, continue, though he can continue to pray in those tongues. And, and the reason was is because it was, it was getting out of hand. And so that's why in, in the book of Corinthians it says uh, that, that let, it, let it happen three times. And if it doesn't, you know, at, at that point, just, just stop. Now, that is not a, a hard, fast doctrine. It was Paul's way of saying that the gifts of the Spirit should never outweigh the preached Word of God. And so Paul was saying that he was going to use that we'll let it happen three times. And then we're going to keep going because if we didn't get it in those times, then we're going to just go preach. Does that make sense? And again, I don't have time to do all of this, and, and each one of those need their own 
uh, lesson or, or sermon. But I'm going to tell you again, those nine gifts of the Spirit, I desire them to be at the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church. Now, I don't, I don't know that you start praying, Lord, let me be used in the gift of interpretation. Let me be used in the gift of, of faith. Let me be used in the gift of miracles. That's not how you pray. What you begin to pray is, Lord, whatever I can do to make your body better, let me be. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you, can't, if you can't worship, if you can't do the natural things for the body of God, then he's not going to let you do the supernatural things. That makes sense? If you're not going to worship, he doesn't want you to just start busting out speaking in other tongues. If you can't give in the offering, then he, he probably doesn't want to use you other places. These are gifts for those that desire to be used of God and say, God, whatever I can do for the, for the, the body of Christ, let me be used. And it really doesn't matter how, when, where, and what. Because none of them make me any better than anybody else. The gifts of the Spirit. Hallelujah. The second thing I want to talk to you about the, the, the new birth is this incredible transition between the old man and the new man. And, and I, I love the miracles, and I've been able to see some miracles in my life, but the greatest miracle that I can ever see is when someone is a dark, cold, rank, nasty sinner and they are filled with God's spirit, they're baptized in Jesus' name, they repent of their sins, and they begin to walk with God, and they are a changed creature. To me, that's the greatest thing that God could ever do. And so, if you remember, he, he gave the disciples power to do many of the miracles, but remember he said, rejoice not because you have power over the spirits, but rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. Now, I hope one day I can pray for someone and, and a deaf ear can open up. And I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be happy about that. But that doesn't trump the fact that my name and your name is written down in heaven. That's the greatest gift. The greatest work uh, is, is this, that, that you and I would have his spirit. And that spirit brings change. That spirit brings victory. Victory over the demonic forces. Victory over human weaknesses. Victory over the struggles of life. When Jesus paid the penalty of sin and removed it from that, that curse of sin from us, I'm telling you, it opened the door for a new life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, there's three things that, that we battle with in our humanity. First one is the devil. The second is the world with all of its ungodly lust. And the third is our own flesh, our carnal nature. And when Jesus is in you, he allows you to defeat those three enemies and, and while I know and, and believe and have seen the devil at work and I have seen the world at work I will tell you today that the greatest enemy of our soul is what is within Jesus said it this way out of the heart of men proceedeth evil thoughts adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts covetousness, wickedness, deceit lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy pride, foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and defile a man if you're going to live for God, you're going to have to let God help you conquer the works of the flesh. Those sinful nature. Galatians lists those uh, works of the flesh. I've preached on this. Brother Perryman's preached on this. Uh, the, this is what the works of the flesh are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revilings, and such the like, and that is not a complete list. All of those are within. When, when the heart is left to its own devices, the heart naturally sins. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. I will not have to teach Zeke to lie. I will not have to teach Zeke to disobey. 
I will not have to teach Zeke to do bad things. It's ingrained in that little four-month-old's life right now. He's going to look at me one day, and he's going to say, I didn't do it. And the chocolate's going to be all over his mouth. It's cute, but it's not cute. Because it shows how ingrained and how much from birth we are sinners. And so because of that, in our own lives... We can never please God. The Bible says it is impossible to please God with our carnal mind, for our carnal mind is enmity, or another word is our carnal mind is hostile against God and does not submit to his laws. For this reason, God said, I'm going to give you a new nature. And this is what I love because especially in the world that we live in right now, People are trying to explain all sorts of, uh, of lifestyle choices as I was born this way. Good for you. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. Because there is nothing in and of ourselves, And so because of that, when you receive his spirit, God is going to give you a new nature, a new mind, a new heart. You'll become a new man full of new life. And that's what he wants to do in your life. That old man passed away. That old man that can't please God. That old man that cannot understand God. That old man that can't live holy before God. Remember the Bible says can sweet water and bitter water come from the same fountain? Absolutely not. Salt water and fresh water cannot come from the same fountain. And so you cannot be carnal and spiritual at the same time. One of them has to win. And so it is that to the new man in Christ Jesus, God has given so many promises. Because our action stems from our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's why God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. The Bible, uh, the, uh, Jeremiah says that man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know? The heart of man is deceitful. Who can know it? David, the great psalmist, never would have dreamed that he had murder in his heart, but he found out pretty quickly it was there. And so that's why he learned, David learned, he would, he would say, and I, I've used this prayer so often, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. It is a cry from, from a, a, a person even though you're walking with God to say God help me. Don't let any of that carnal nature ever get another foothold in my life. Try me. And when he is resident in your heart that harvest of love, joy, peace gentleness, goodness, long suffering, faith meekness and temperance. All of those fruits of the spirit will be there. The spirit will conquer the things that were destroying the purpose the person rather. Unbelief is conquered by faith. Hatred is conquered by love. Wrath and strife is com uh, conquered by long-suffering and temperance. Fear is conquered by love and patience. Bondage is conquered by deliverance and so on and so on. And that's why the Bible says that we're going to live an abundant life. An abundant life. That's why we can speak praises. That's why we can adore him. I, I love when I read the, the Acts chapter 2 and that outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It says when they were speaking of other tongues, this is what it says, for those outside, they heard them speaking in their language, praising God. Because there was an abundant life. An abundant life. See, God desires that you and I would show forth the fruit of his spirit. He, he wants that, that sinful nature to be passed away. That's why Paul said it this way, Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as uh, instruments of righteousness unto God. Because when God gets a hold of you, you begin to change. And one of the most beautiful things that happens is the beauty of holiness. Psalms 29, 2 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
if you could take a look at your life, you would find that in your life there are two roads that you can walk. Both of them go all the way to the far distance. One represents the way of life and one represents the way of death. One is a road of blessing, the other is a road of cursing, which is why the Lord said in Deuteronomy 30, He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Which way do you go? On this journey, which, which direction will you take? Hebrews chapter 11 says of Moses that Moses chose that way of holiness, that way that led him to God more than the adventures and the pleasures of sin for a season. Because the very word holy means to be set apart, to be separated. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So many times the Bible talks about the holy God, that God is holy, God is, is undefiled, God is pure. So if I'm going to be like Him, it only seems to reason that I would draw closer to His holiness rather than staying the way that I am. There's a, 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 a belief right now that just drives me crazy. And it's been present a long time, but I guess I see it more now. But it's this belief that God loves me just the way that I am and I can stay the way that I am. It doesn't make any sense. If I was a drunk when I came to God, I can't continue to be a drunk. If I was a lying, cheating rascal and I come into God's presence, I can't stay a lying, cheating rascal. There's a chain. If I cuss like a sailor and I come into God's presence and I'm saved, I'm just, let me just help you out. My God doesn't cuss. My God doesn't cheat. My God is not pornographic, my God is not sensual, my God is not uh, fornicating my, my God is not all of these things and, and so I want to be like Him which means that when I am saved and when I get on that journey and I'm, I'm walking towards Him, that's what the word sanctification means, sanctification means the act of drawing closer to God I want that way of life the Bible says that Jesus came to save us from our sin. He didn't just save us from the penalty of sin, but He saved us from our sin, meaning He'd like to stop sin before it ever gets into your life. So, in the Garden of Eden, God created them in perfection. God created them without sin. God created them without shame and guilt and condemnation. He created them holy, but sin destroyed that. So, God now living in us begins to allow us to live holy. Holiness is a way that God protects us from those three things that war against our soul. The devil, the world, and our flesh. And if you'll walk holy, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, when God filled you with the Spirit, He gave you a holy nature. He, he, he says, I want you to uh, uh, be changed. Another verse says that, that we are being changed like Him. From glory to glory to glory to glory. If God's truly in you, you'll abstain from the appearance of evil. You'll dress differently, act differently, talk differently, even think differently. You'll be a new person. Because 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation and conduct. Growing in the Again, you can't be holy if you've not been saved. It's impossible. Because you can't be holy with, the, with the, the carnal fallen nature in you. You can only be holy 
if you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want us to stand today. See, as, as you and I grow in with God, we're going to grow in our ability to recognize those things that would endanger our life. Sometimes you'll feel a check in your spirit. You could say it's a spirit of discernment. Maybe it is, but you'll, you'll feel a check in your spirit that says, you know what? Be really careful what you're about to do. It's God saying you're fixing to walk in an unholy way. And you're going you're gonna to walk away from where I am. That's why God gives us pastors. That's why God gives us godly parents. That's why God gives our young people godly youth pastors and our children godly teachers. To help give that check. Listen to me very, very carefully. You ought not live your life this way. Is it a sin or is it not a sin? If that's the way you live your life, you're going to be miserable because Paul said it this way, not everything is a sin. In fact, it might even be lawful, but it's not good for me, expedient. The best question you could ask is this. Lost my place for a minute. Here's the question. What I'm about to do, say, or be, is it going to damage the image of Christ in my life? Remember, I think it was Sunday night. I believe it was Sunday night. I preached on, on salt. The salt has lost its savor. Sunday morning. Thank you. I forget what I preached. Sunday morning. Has the salt lost its savor? If what I'm about to do, is it going to mar the image of God in me? Bible says we, we're, we're looking at a mirror, if you will. It's, it's kind of dark and smoky. We can't see everything in it. We're looking at a mirror trying to see the reflection of God in us. If what I do makes that mirror more dirty, others won't see it either. How can I please Him? How can I be more like Him? How can I draw closer to Him? What does Jesus want me to do? Those are the questions you ask. How can I be like him? I want to tell you today that if, if you're not letting the, the Spirit of God lead and guide you into all truth, if you're not letting the Spirit of God lead you deeper into relationship with him, you need to reexamine that. And I'm going to implore you that you get back on your knees and you say, Lord, draw me close to you. You didn't save me just to save me and then take off and let me do whatever I'm going to do and, and just kind of go through life just all by myself and then later on you'll call me home. No, God said, I saved you and I desire to be with you and I want to be in you and I want a relationship with you and every day that I am alive, I want to draw closer to Him because of His Spirit. I want us just to take a moment. I wonder if you could just pray in your own way right where you are. Somewhere. In one of these three elements of this lesson, I know God was speaking to you, and I want you to find your place in His presence. Lord, we thank you today. God, I'm asking right now that you would draw me close to you, that Lord, you would let my conscience be, not be seared, but let it be sharp. God, if I'm going a direction I ought not go, check me.